Hello everybody, this is Steve from the Retroman blog and you've just heard Against the Grain which is the first track on the brand new album from The Fallen Leaves, If Only We'd Known. And we're pleased to welcome into the pod today two members of The Fallen Leaves. We have... Rob Simmons, guitarist, Fallen Leaves. And Rob Green, the singer. Hello Robs, and also we're joined by Mr Rock Photographer Paul Slattery. Good evening. Yeah, good evening, thanks Hello, for Paul. coming in, Fallen Leaves. Our pleasure. Rob Thank you. Rob. So that was a great track, Against the Grain, from your new album. And is that out now? Is, is, uh, is the album out in the shops? It's coming out on April the 1st, so okay. probably I don't know when the, this broadcast will be. It will be in the shops, but there's, there's no shops to put it in. That's true. So we can order it online. and uh, You can order it on all these horrible, modern, newfangled ways. You can order it yeah. on Amazon. In fact, they, you can order it now, even though it's not. It's on Amazon now, on pre-order. And we, we, we will hope we've got a sort of website that's a bit behind the times, but hopefully... We'll get that CD yeah. up on, on our own website and we can send it off to you. And that's fallenleaves.net. It is, it yeah. Is, yeah. Great. And so, you, so you're going to release that on vinyl as you're sort of all analogue and. Well, we'd love to. We'd love we to. We have looked into it, but we just can't afford to do it for the amount that we yeah. sell. We do everything ourselves, pay for the recording, yeah. the pressing, the mastering. And to do, we'd love to do vinyl. If, if people would buy it, we'd definitely yeah. do it. And this is on your own record label, Parliament Records, isn't it? That, yeah. Uh, have you released any other bands on Parliament Records? Or no. Have you done for your own? It's just for us. It's just a very narcissistic record label. It's just, <laughs> just for the Fallen Leaves. But you do club nights for, and you help other bands and you put on other bands, and you? You've done that for a long time now. So I thought yeah. you would have branched out into putting... Well, we're not really business people. That's the trouble. Uh, we, we, we think we're the kind of champions, the glorious champions of the great underachievers. So uh, <laughs> everything we release loses money. Uh, almost every show we play loses money. And uh, long may that continue. <laughs> But it's always good fun, though, isn't it? <laughs> despite that, losing money. Well, you did well. I mean, we, we put you on at the Retroman blog night in December, yeah. and that was the first time me and Paul had seen you. And it was it was fantastic to see you live there, and you got a good reaction. Didn't you? That was a brilliant night. Yeah, it was yeah, good no, fun, wasn't it? Really, really yeah, one of the best. One of the best ones we've had. Thank you. It's not always like that. But yeah, but as Rob says, you know, we don't mind. We just yeah. love playing. Yeah. Whether there's anyone there or not, yeah. doesn't matter to us. Any, well, it was a great things. night. I mean, yeah. I hadn't. Uh, I'd heard of you. But hadn't seen you and knew you you were local. And but when you came on and I heard Rob's guitar and I saw yeah. this bloke on stage drinking a cup of tea while he was singing, I thought they're quirky. <laughs> and I like quirky. quirky. <laughs> I like quirky, but I like Rob's guitar too. Yeah, it was a great night. Great, great night, and you really set the night off well. I thought. Thank you. Yeah. We only heard about you or saw you the, the night of the gig that we put on. Where we're not very good yeah. at publicising ourselves <laughs> or pushing ourselves forward. You know, yeah. we're not the week. You know, we don't get our records reviewed or you know, yeah. we're not the sort of people that's going to go out and yeah. um, sell ourselves. We're never going to mm. do that. So we just do what we do, and we mm. think we do it well. We love mm. doing it. And then if anyone finds out about it by accident, then that's yeah. great. But we're yeah. not going to go out there. And um, really push ourselves. Well, you've been going eight yeah, years, yeah, and uh, you've you're still here because you like playing. I mean, it's as simple yeah. as that, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound too pious, but you know, we do it because we for the love of it. You know, for us anyway. If we started doing it for the money, well, a you'd be disappointed because there isn't any bloody money, and secondly, the personal touch is what it's about. You know, we played for you because we're friends with Andy from the past tense, because mm, we've yeah. put them on, because yeah. when we put on our own nights, like you, we only put on groups that we like. Yeah. If we don't like them musically, we don't put them on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the criteria. The criteria yeah. isn't, have they got 
500 fans they can bring. Mm-hmm. The criteria is, do we like them? Because we yeah. want to run club nights mm-hmm. for music that we like. Well, yeah, that's how it started, really, because when we first put on our own Parliament Club, which was in Richmond, which is our sort of home base and our hometown, mm-hmm. it was because there was mm-hmm. no other venues in Richmond that, that had music on anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it, we, we loved all the groups that played there in the past, in the, yeah, sure. you know, in the old days of the Richmond, and we wanted to bring that music back. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to bring people over to Richmond that we really liked and wanted to mm-hmm. show to the people of Richmond that there's great groups out there. <laughs> the new album called Passing By. Tell us a little bit about how you formed the band, how you met. I mean, Rob Simmons, you were in Subway Sects originally, and how did you get to meet each other and well, form the band? Well, at the same time I was in Subway Sects, we also knew Rob, he was a friend, and he'd gone to um, a school with another friend of ours. So we go back from the, from those punk days, really. Oh, and Rob used to come along to the shows and see Subway Sects play. When I was out of the Subway Sects, Vic was doing his own sort of things. Rob shared a place with Vic. And during that time, me and Rob got together and did our own songs, which we'd record. Okay. Well, we put them all down on cassette. Give us a, one of the, the first songs you wrote together. Uh, it's not our favourite song. It's not our favourite song yet. <laughs> <laughs> one of the ones that's from back then on the first album is called Back to You. Okay. Okay. But it's not our favourite. No. Okay. What else was there, Rob? But there were it lots was. of, also, there were lots of kind of little ideas. Oh, one of the ones on the new album yeah. called Girls in a Trance, that came from back then, but it is, t- it is slightly different now, but the words are pretty much the same. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear Girls in the Trance. Yeah, okay. That's a good song. She's a girl, girl in the trance. Can you watch, can you watch her dance? If I look into her eyes, maybe I'll have a chance. 
songs that we recorded at that time um, and I remembered all the songs and yeah. I always thought they were great songs in sort of a few years ago when we first started the group I got sort of really fired up about music again mm. I tried to get Rob back interested in music as well Yeah. and um, I had these cassette tapes of the songs we did and sometimes I'd ring him up and tell him about sort of lyrics and things and he couldn't remember any of the songs we'd done, he didn't even believe that I had these tapes of the songs. So I had to <laughs> okay. gradually introduce Rob into the yeah. songs. And also, we got sort of fired up by me taking along to see Billy Childish, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was, uh, which band was he playing with at the time? The Buff Medways at the time. The Buff Medways. Yeah. So yeah. that was the early 40s then, I would imagine, was it? I guess it was, yeah. 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 I guess well, it what happens right. now, I was interviewed about the subway sets by uh, this um, boy called Steve Beho. He phoned me up to do an interview, and I'd never been interviewed before, and he got my number out of the blue, I don't know how. And the interview never really happened, his cassette player didn't work. But he... <laughs> He Hang started on, sending me tapes of music. He said, why aren't you playing again? And started yeah. sending me tapes. And on the tapes, he put little songs by the, like the Billy Childish or the Sonic. Yeah. People, I'd, I'd never heard of Billy Childish. Yeah, never right. heard of the Sonics. Hearing that sort of sound of that music again, that sort of brought back to me memories of the sort of music I yeah. heard when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Just that raw sound of the guitar sounds, you know, particularly. That's also the sort of things that I started to play to Rob in the car. He's putting mm. sort of tapes along and put it in his car. And when you saw Billy Childish, you obviously saw something that, would, that inspired you to get back and get the band going and you had the impetus to... to write music again yeah it? definitely I mean you know Rob strong armed me uh, into coming and you know I'd just fallen out of love really I suppose with live yeah. music and um, there were two things really one I was driving my van one day and I know we're gonna we might come on to this later and uh, I turned on the radio and there was a Ramones track playing and yeah. I just kind of thought you know I remember how much I love this and yeah. it was just fantastic and then Rob strong armed me into going to see Billy and you know that just reawakened it, it had just been asleep for yeah. inside me all these years that reawakened in me a couple of the things that i had always believed so passionately about playing music which was mm. one you didn't have to be a great technician in order yeah. to play you know van gogh wasn't technically a brilliant painter yeah. And if you play a Billy Childish record to a guitar technician, they're going to say the man can't really play. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to be a brilliant technician to play. 
You don't have to be young to play. This is a nonsense. It's a myth created by... Uh, I'm not sure who created it, but you know they, they don't believe that in jazz. You don't have to be society. You don't have to be 18 yeah. years old to play jazz. You don't have to be 18 years old to play blues. You don't have to be 18 years old to write classical music. Why do you have to be 18 years old to write pop music? It's ridiculous. Mm, that's true. So Billy clearly showed that if you do it for love and for passion, and that inspired us to start again. Yeah. So he was an important figure, Billy. Okay. Well, let's hear a Billy Childish song. This is the Buff Medways and Sally Sensation. <laughs> Just explain the way my mind is If I could just refrain from breaking my heart again Billy Childish at that time. The first time I went yeah. to see him, um, Who was that the Boston Arms? No, no we used was, to go there once a month. Yeah, but yeah. he was playing in Canterbury. Okay, and I persuaded a friend because I heard these bits and pieces on tapes. Mm. Yeah, I thought I'd really like to see him. And I persuaded my friend to drive me down to Canterbury, and I went to see him. And on stage, he spoke about being at the on the White Riot tour at the Rainbow mm. when all the whole place because we're all sitting down watching me so when I was at the Rainbow everyone got up and smashed the chairs I was there so I'm smashing the chairs <laughs> he was on the stage I was, I was, I was <laughs> in the audience smashing up the chairs so after the show because he had a really nice guitar because I loved Bo Diddley yeah. and he had a sort of Bo Diddley shaped guitar so after he played I went down and said oh I was at the Rainbow and he said oh were you and I, said, I told him I was in the subway set and he liked that and I said but I can't play you know and he said nor can I yeah. <laughs> he said you've got a fantastic guitar you know it's like yeah. Bo Diddley guitar I'd love to have a guitar like that. And he said it was made for him, yeah. someone. Well, I didn't have a guitar or anything. And him sort of saying, all I do is like a sort of pattern of shapes on the guitar, mm. you know, or move this hand. Mm-hmm. And I can do that. Yeah. So yeah. that, um, it was... So you found a kindred spirit artist. in Billy yeah, I found, definitely found a kindred and so, spirit. Yeah, and it was, so... It was definitely a kindred spirit. Did you get the guitar that you're playing on stage at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't done on purpose, so... <laughs> 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 no. Bob's... 
much more decisive for me and he said we're going to do the group we're going to go out and buy a guitar and an amplifier then we're going to go and do it today we hadn't even started the group really we just got these old songs and we went mm. to the first music shop which was in Kew and I didn't know what to get because I'd had a Fender Mustang at the time in the subway set mm. but because I hit the guitar really hard I used to always break the strings on the Mustang Joe Strummer would come on and lend me his Telecaster and when I used to come off. People used to say, oh, it's much more powerful when you had that Telecaster. But Joe Strummer got really annoyed because I used to hit his guitar so str- strongly. <laughs> okay. He used to afterwards hear break the strings as well and blame me for breaking the strings. So um, when we went into the shop, they didn't have, they just had a, we looked around, we knew we wasn't going to get a Gibson, it was going to be a sort of Fender or something. They didn't have a Mustang, which I used to have, and I saw the Telecaster. And I remember that Joe Strummer had the telecaster that he used to lend me, and everyone said it sounded much better than the Mustang. And um, Rob said, OK, we'll buy that. And there was a Fender Twin Reverb in there, and Steve Jones had one in the Pistols. And um, we said, well, we have that, and we walked out the shop with the telecaster and the Twin Reverb, and that's what we've stayed with ever since. Yeah. And you get a great sound. Well, it was almost classic sounds. Uh, although we don't know, sound. you know, we don't. Neither of us know mu- really much about the, the technical side of guitars. We knew what we didn't want, yeah. mm. because we didn't want to look or sound like a rock group. So we knew that that meant we didn't want a Les Paul. That meant we didn't want Marshall amps. Mm. Not for us. I mean, but great for the who. The valve amp. But we wanted an old amp. So we yeah, decided. Yeah. We knew that you know. So we want. We liked the fact that the Telecaster had this very powerful, but also a kind of trebly, edgy sound. Mm. And it made sense. If you play a Fender guitar through a Fender amp, you're going to get that, what we now know, is that kind of Fender sound. Yeah. And particularly the way Rob plays it, which is very kind of rhythmically. Yeah. And uh, so that's well, that's where the sound came from, and we stuck with it. But yeah. you not only play, you kind of... You kind of attack it. Attack it, does, it yeah. in a way, yes. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. because you're always banging it and kind of squeezing it. And I, I, yeah, I've seen very few guitarists do that to it and it's very interesting the sounds that come out of it when you do that when you just bang the butt of it Rob when you've just mm. played a chord and you bang it and it it just mm. goes kind of goes wow 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 in a different kind of way it's it's, mm. it's, it's extraordinary it's because I always love the sort of sounds of certain guitars and things and I'm, yeah. as you know, Rob, no, you know I'm not a musician or anything but you know I love sounds and mm. um, to get that sound when you play it you know if you when you get on stage when it's sort of the right moments and you sort of got, you hit that first chord, sometimes it just yeah. sounds to me mm. so fantastic. I just love that electric sound, the humming mm. sound, the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just want to really hit it and yeah. on a good night when we're really sort of fired up. Yeah. You know, well, it doesn't have to be anyone yeah. there, but I just hear that sound of that amp and it yeah. ring in and everything. Well, he's playing air, when he's playing air guitar, well, he's yeah, doing that's, that. Rob, that's, <laughs> why, yeah. guitar. that's why we're down <laughs> front of your gigs, because we like it too. <laughs> Quite honestly. In the interim, Rob, uh, did you? Uh, what happened to your guitar career in between playing um, with the Subway Sect and then the Fallen Leaves? Because there's kind of a there wasn't year, any guitar. Yeah, it won't take long to answer that. No, wasn't there? It was a <laughs> thirty-year gap. So what happened to the guitar? The guitars went. So there was no point in me having a guitar at home, so I couldn't know how to play it. Right. <laughs> that didn't really interest me to play. So we're just you alive, it, just getting up and playing live. Only play when we play live, yeah. Okay, right. So you're not one of those people that sits in the bedroom rehearsing. Never. You just no, get up no, and never. bang it out. No. You know. So that's where no. you get that excitement still, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the Ramones. Were they, I mean, you know, you wouldn't say listening to Fallen Needs or the Ramones are an influence on, on you musically, but they did they play a big part in you in your musical upbringing? They certainly did in mine. I would say that, uh, uh, and I know, I think you were there, Paul. I 
saw the Ramones at the Roundhouse, I think, in 1977. I think Rob saw them in 1976. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I would say it's the best concert I've ever been to, other than Fall and Leaves concerts, obviously. Of course. <laughs> but because they worked so hard. Yeah. Their work ethic was incredible. Mm. And, you know, they weren't brilliant musicians, but, but they could write songs. You've got to have so- this. My thing is you have to have songs. Mm. You have to have the sound and you have to have songs. And we kind of believe that actually the only truly radical thing left is to be traditional. And there's nothing wrong with the traditional song of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe a middle eight, not that I really know what that is, but a bit in the middle that's different, and then a repeated chorus and you end. There's nothing wrong with that. missed out the guitar break. A little bit of a guitar break, maybe. (laughs) That stood the test of time and there's nothing wrong with that. It depends how you play it. And what... What the Ramones had, although musically they're different from us, but what the Ramones had was the combination of very, very rough music, mm. predominantly driven by Johnny Ramone, mm. and a singer that could sing, represented by Joey Ramone. If you took one away from the other, you listen to Joey Ramone's solo material, it's pretty poor because it's mm. so weedy. Mm. Yes. But if you listen to Johnny Ramone without Joey Ramone, it just sounds like a racket. Yeah, but true. you put the two together of the rough and the smooth mm. and what you've got is a great sound and I think that's what we've got we've got the true, rough and the smooth yeah, together I think, that, I think that's why which one's which I'm yeah. the smooth <laughs> <laughs> yes because I like that I think that's when we saw the fall of leaves you know you've got Rob's guitar mm-hmm. which is just this crazy discordant guitar which is fantastic but then mm. you're and you expect someone to be sort of shouting or, or doing like more punky vocals but you're almost crooning, dare I say. Well, Rob would have to comment on that, but I have to comment on Rob's guitar player because I don't want to sing with any other guitar player. Mm. And, you know, if you look at what happened to Dr. Feelgood, I love Wilco Johnson, but without Dr. Feelgood, it's not the same because Mm. with Librello, he had a a proper singer. Yeah, that's true. And on some of the tracks on the first Feelgood LP where Wilco is singing, for me, they're not as good. But I don't want to play with any other guitar player. And if I played with another guitar player, it'd be too weedy. I'd end up sounding like Perry Como. Well, it's very yeah. interesting you talking about the juxtaposition of the two of you. you know, well, I, I, you joined, you know, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play. I mean, I have been offered, as Rob knows, but I wouldn't play with anyone else. But Rob, I played in the mm-hmm. subway set when that stopped. I didn't want to. We did have different sort of things going on, but I didn't want to mm-hmm. do anything unless it, it felt right to me. And Rob gives me, you know, when I was in the subway sets, I was always being told I was a useless colourist, can't play. I mean, it's terrible, you know. And I sort of, and I know I can't play, but mm-hmm. Rob believed in me that I could yeah. play and Rob's confidence in me enables me to do what I know I'm not a great musician but Rob mm. says what you've got is something that nobody else has with the two of us together you know I love Rob's singing he yeah. loves my playing and it just sort of works for us yeah. I couldn't yeah. play with anyone else I mean I'm, yeah. I couldn't play another song I wouldn't know how to play if someone mm. said oh play this song and Rob's mm. the same yeah as, but it's know, all about musically. chemistry isn't it and it's all about and like you said if if you've got Wilco, when Wilco left Dr. Field with a lot of people, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. And I think when you've got that, that chemistry is so important in music, isn't it? And that creating that that tension or the the juxtaposition of different styles or whatever whatever it might be. But that chemistry sometimes is is just more important than than anything. And, And you can't, create that it's just something that happens isn't it? yeah I mean the best example probably or the most famous example maybe of that I mean I would say the Ramones are the best example but probably the most famous example of that is 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 Keith Richards and Mick Jagger mm. uh, you know I can only say my opinion but I'm sure lots of people agree with it you listen to either of their solo material it's woeful yes, that's right. but you put the two of them together and something happens yeah and talking of the Ramones let's um, you, you picked out a favourite Ramones track uh, which is Loudmouth yeah so let's hear it 
that was a great loudmouth by the Ramones and um, a, a good choice there. I think we're, we're all big Ramones fans. And and I think, you know, my thing, I, think, I can't remember if I said this earlier, was they just they worked so hard. You know, they were grafters. Yeah. They, they went out there. It wasn't about it wasn't about musicianship, but it was about having great songs mm. and they worked so hard. Mm. And uh, you've got to have that. You've got to have that work ethic. Andy Warhol used to say that to the Velvet Underground. You've got to work, yeah. work, 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 work. Well, that's like one of your your mottos, isn't it? A good idea played badly is better than a bad idea played well. Yeah, Which that's Rob. That. It's it's great because it's true. A lot of the great punk songs, if you if you strip down a Ramones song to just playing it on a, an acoustic guitar, it sounds fantastic. You know. How uh, when I first heard the Ramones, I was seventy six. Had to go to Paris on the boat train because you couldn't get the LP here it's imported from America to pick up the LP right. and it's, it's amazing you can just press it up on your phone now we can get, and get that track <laughs> yeah. that's what spoils I think in yeah. music you There's no search it out you know yeah. it was yeah. really yeah. you know yeah. days for searching to go and get that so yeah. take you know had no money go on the train to Paris pick just it up pick bring up it back and be like the first one it's in the country with it yeah. but what's great about Ramones is you know we had you know, music at that time you know the bass and the guitar, they were just playing the same notes. It was like three notes. Yes, root, They're just root. copying each other. Yeah. And you forget how radical that was. And probably even the trogs had a bit of a bass line or yeah. something in there. But that was just <laughs> both of them, downstrokes only, hitting the same yeah. notes, changing to another note, and then maybe a third one, if you're lucky. But with mm. a great singer over the top and great melodies. That's true. And simple drumming. But that was like the Sex Pistols, wasn't it? When you listen to their early demos, you know, Glenn Matlock's doing all this melodic bass lines yeah. mm. but when it got round to them actually making Nevermind the Bollocks the bass and the guitar is purely where they get that power is the bass is just the same sound but yes. if you listen to their early demos it's it's very melodic bass playing from Glenn Matlock yeah but I think that was better for the Pistols but for yeah. the Ramones that worked well for them yeah. Yeah. one of our well. quotes which certainly fits the Ramones and I think it fits us is that simple and easy are not the same thing what the Ramones did was simple but that's not easy what they do play that fast Play it tight, work hard. That's not easy. It's simple, but it ain't easy. And I think what we do is simple. They're simple songs. Yeah. Simple songs for complex people, aren't they, Rob? That's yeah. another. <laughs> that's another <laughs> one of that quotes. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're easy songs for easy people. <laughs> but it's true because you listen. I mean, when you listen to the Ramones lyrics, third verse, same as the first. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, can, the first I mean, I heard that. that's genius. Yeah. Who's going to write? It's so simple. But yeah. you couldn't if you sat for an hour like trying to write that. You're never going to come up with that. Are you? <laughs> no. It's just pure genius, isn't it? it to is keep that genius. beat on the brat well, with the baseball bat. But heard people having the one, two, three, four in a song before yeah. you heard that. No. You yeah. can't think of what it was like at that time. I saw the Ramones in 76 and that's where Malcolm McLaren first said about the subway sets playing. So Malcolm McLaren saw you as a gang of lads come up to see the band and he thought you were a band, is that right? I had made a t-shirt with subway sets on. Okay. And he, so he saw that. It had already been in little bits in the music papers about this group called oh, the subway set that no one had heard of. Yeah. But um, and you hadn't done any gigs. <laughs> no, I didn't have um, had the group then. Probably yeah. any instruments. Because no. I like there's a, there was a big Goddard quote where he said that they were talking about they couldn't play. They're in the band, and he said that the drummer thought the bass drum was just somewhere you could write the band's logo. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't know you actually played the bass drum. <laughs> So then with Subway Set, you were, instead of Malcolm McLaren, you were taken up by Bernie Rhodes as, as, as your manager, wasn't it? Why, didn't, why did Malcolm McLaren pass on you then? To... Because at that time, there was the um, Grundy incident thing when the Sex Pistols, you know, they were the, quite small before then. And yeah. They suddenly went sort of massive. And Malcolm McLaren's, you know, we were going to rehearse in his place in Denmark Street. And then mm. they went really, really 
full-time Malcolm and we just happened to be on I think we'd supported the the clash a couple of times and we were, we're rehearsing in their room and we've got two of us want to go with yeah. Malcolm and two wants to go with mm. with yeah. Bernie yeah but just I think Malcolm's time would have been full-on with the pistol sure time. and then your link Rob was that you apparently were singing at mm. Bernie Rhodes Club Left as, as where did you I keep hearing these things that you were singing but what were you singing with Subway Sector with your own band at the time or Neither, really. I was living with Vic at the time we were sharing a house together. Vic knew I could sing, so I did some backing vocals for Vic one time, which was okay, except Bernie was incredibly... I think he'd won the competition for Britain's Rudest Man probably three years in a row. (laughs) But that was okay, you know, I wasn't... I just, you know, Vic asked me to sing, so I sang. But then... But I was always much more into singing, really, I suppose. And there is... I tried to find it for you because you asked for rarities, but I couldn't find it anywhere. There is a... There is a... I had it on a cassette tape. There's a cassette tape of me singing a version of the Trini Lopez song, If I Had a Hammer. Great song. Fantastic song. At Club Left. Got, at Club yeah. Left. Yeah. Oh, is got, it really? And that, is, yeah. that go, is that doing around somewhere? Is it? Well, I've got it somewhere. I just couldn't find it. I, yeah. do, I tried to dig it out of my cupboard for you, but I guess we should play the original. Trini yeah. Lopez. Well, no, my version's yeah. better. That's the trouble. Well, let's, hear it. let's let's play the original. about your first album so it's it, it's too late now so you've got the band together you met each other you got back writing songs well we got Paul back in was the original Subway Sex bass player oh Paul Myers Paul yeah. Myers yeah we had a problem getting the drummer didn't we yeah so we um, booked some rehearsal places Paul had played with Paul Cook before so he helped us out on a few early rehearsals as well oh so um, Paul Cook from the Pistols is who's now playing with Vic Goddard yeah now. Well, he likes playing with Paul Myers because they're all they were in the professionals yeah. together. So he helped us out. He's never going to play with us, but he helped us out at the beginning, and that was really helpful. That's good. And the first album, you know, we had the songs. We wrote the songs really, really quickly. I mean, I don't even like calling them writing songs because they don't yeah. go down. That implies that something gets put on a bit of paper. You know, yeah. uh, what happens is I usually come up with a basic riff. Yeah. I show it to Rob. Rob plays it. The tune over the top seems to come entirely naturally. And then we work on it together. So we had the songs ready. We went into the recording studio. It's an old converted garage mm-hmm. in Walthamstow. And um, we recorded the whole thing, I think, in two days. And, you know, that's partly driven by... <laughs> is that, why is that funny? The whole album in two days? Yeah. 
the whole LP in two days. What? Because you know, I mean, I think you know. A first, I know that the, you know that's how the Rolling Stones used to record. You know, because uh, one of you know, I'm a big for quotes, both quotes of our own and other people's. Duke Ellington said, "Don't give me time, give me deadlines." Because if you give someone, if you give somebody six months in a studio, they'll use up the six months. Yeah. yeah. And they probably won't produce anything or better. Or five years, like the, role that, like the Stone Roses. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, we could only afford two days. And I don't like, I don't, I don't mm. really like recording, to be honest with you. Mm. I like playing live. Mm. So what we effectively do, almost, is we play it live in the recording studio. Mm. That's what we do. We record it live, and then I might redo the vocal, and that's it. Mm. All done in one take. Oh, and we go with usually. that first one, even if we think it's not perfect. Cause She's banging out. Well, I think yeah. it's always, looking back, you always think, well, the first one was the best. Yeah. So I yeah. know the first one's going to be the best. And yeah. even if it isn't the best, it doesn't really you matter. Think, yeah. No, we just go with the first one. Yeah. Each song uh, seems to be in the right position on that album. So I don't know how you sort that out. Is it kind of luck or, or I, what? I think it's just instinct. I mean, yeah. they probably weren't... They were recorded pretty much live, but they probably weren't recorded in that order. And mm. then once we've got once we've got the finished product, uh, Rob and I then decide what order the song should be on the album. And that's mm. just instinct, Rob, isn't it? We don't really think about it too much. Not very much. much. No, we just <laughs> no. think, oh, we've got to get an order... And we just do it. But it we sounds don't actually go in depth and think, oh, this one's got to go. But with they're this really one. well sequenced. I think it's like, really boring. Yeah, to but, but like your gigs, I think when you see your life, the, the, the set is perfectly sequenced, isn't it? I mean, it's really yeah. well balanced. You know, you've got a great sense of dynamic through the set. And I think on the albums as well, it works really well. You know, you listen to the whole thing. Mm. You, you listen to it as an album, and it, it just flows really nicely. It's not a conscious thing, then. Mm. No, we just do it pretty much by instinct. Okay, well, let's hear a track now. This is Shining. And this is from the first album, It's Too Late Now. Change it, change it, but it's always the same. 
great track, Shining, from the first album, It's Too Late Now. So tell us a bit about that track then, Lance. What was, how did you write that? How that song came about is actually a good indicator of how a lot of our songs came come about. I was, I think, watching the telly and a, a video of the Rolling Stones doing Undercover of the Night came on. Right. And I thought, oh, that's a really good riff mm-hmm. and a really terrible song <laughs> in the way it's produced. But it's a fantastic riff. So I turned it off and I got the guitar out and uh, Rob's a virtuoso guitar player compared to me. I'm a terrible <laughs> guitar player. And uh, I tried to play the riff, but of course, because I can't really play, I couldn't find the riff. Mm. But I came up with another riff. Okay. So by trying to nick a Rolling Stones riff, I came up with a different riff and mm. then I built the song around that. So that's, I'm not saying it always comes from listening to somebody else's song, but what yeah. will happen is that I will come up with the most basic, yeah. what Rob calls a pattern on the guitar. Mm. I'll give it to Rob, Rob works on it. I've already got a tune in my head and then we collaborate and that's how the songs come about. Usually very, very quickly. We put them together yeah. Together. Well, Jimmy Page, I once said, uh, not that I'm a big fan, of, certainly not a fan of Led Zeppelin, but Jimmy Page said, all you need for a good song is a riff, a melody, and syncopation. Dead right, that's it. Well, it's not just, I don't think it's, that's not the only thing. Mm. I think the sound is, is as important as well. Yes. Because, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier. You know, you could hear sort of Louie Louie by the Kingsman, it's fantastic. And you might mm. hear a version... I don't know who by, but I mean, if Led Zeppelin did a version, it'd be a terrible song. Yes, yeah. And yeah. You Really Got Me is fantastic by the Kinks. If you see Ray Davis doing the solo version, yeah. it's rubbish. Yeah. So it's not just the song, it's the, it's sound, the sound as well. And well, this that, is going back to what you were saying about getting the guitar. You're getting the guitar more for the sound. Yeah. That in, it's in your head, and, and then you're transferring all that into the songs, into the music. and it, yeah, yeah, it gives you the identity, doesn't yeah. it? You know. yeah. Yeah. And one thing I think I noticed in that track with the guitar is... Slightly, I don't know if it's influence or such, but there's a slight Wilco Johnson rhythmic, that that sort of rhythm guitar riff that he's playing there. I mean, was Wilco Johnson an influence on on you when when you were playing? Well, I, when I was very young, I used to go and see lots of people before they made any records or anything when they play yeah. in local pubs. Yeah, we used to sort of follow them around a bit. Yeah. That they sort of got to know us, but we were only sixteen at the time. Yeah. And um, I'd never heard anything like him before. Fact, so I was sort yeah. of playing some of his stuff today that I'd recorded from before they yeah. recorded anything on cassette, and um, definitely I think I picked. You know, people always say that's when when we played last Saturday, someone came up to me and said Wilco Johnson. I'd seen Dr. Wilco many, 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 many times. You know, yeah. all over the place. We used to follow them around, but the, there wouldn't be anyone there. You know, you go into pub and there maybe yeah. only be there ten people in there at that yeah. time. But um, it's definitely an influence, I suppose, because the, the, the sound has come across, that sort of trebly guitar sound. Yeah, yeah. But also, from the subway set days, we were sort of influenced by things we hadn't really heard. We, we used to read about all these new New York groups. Yeah. We hadn't heard them. We just had sort of imagines how they you, you like the idea of them. We see <laughs> yeah. pictures of them. And yeah. Think, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Dr. Fugler, I. I saw Dr. Philbert on what has now become a kind of legendary TV programme, but it wasn't at the time. I think it was called Geordie Scene. That was oh, probably yes. 1975. Yeah. And, I saw uh, that now. You can get that on YouTube. Yeah, you can find it. They're, they're in the middle of all these exactly, little kids. It was on in the middle. It was on about four o'clock. It was on what yeah. used to be called Children's Hour. Yeah. And I came home from school, turned it on. And because the age I was, you know, if you'd been 10 years older, you would have experienced the first wave of kind of tough. British R&B groups, but yeah. I was too young for that. You know, what I was into was skinhead music. So, yeah. you know, all I listened to was Scar. Yeah. And um, 
when I saw that, I'd never seen white people playing music in such an aggressive way. Yeah. And that's what impressed me. And then from then on, I would say Doc Cooper was a big influence on everybody. Mm. Because they played with aggression. Oh, certainly, yeah. I taped that show off the TV. Yeah. yeah. But that wasn't the only children. They were on other children's TV shows yeah. before that. So oh, were they? Little sets. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I've got this session of they were on one o'clock in the morning on Capital Radio doing this yeah. session and things. But he hasn't got the they dirty white suit on in that one. I've always wondered whether <laughs> the, right. the TV producers in yeah. Newcastle said, you can't go on TV with that filthy white suit. Did he, did did he not have it then? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, you've chosen um, the classic She Does It Right, so let's hear it. This is Dr Feelgood and She Does It Right. Johnny Marr, or were you surprised by that? I was surprised, that was funny enough that Phil, who was, was creeping into his conversations, said he was he got this free magazine at the station, he was reading it in bed, and he, um, he called me up, he said, I'm not going to believe it, I've just got this magazine, I'm just reading it in bed, and there's Johnny Marr, and it says his style icons, sort of Ray Davis, Jasper Johns, and um, me, so I don't yeah. know how it's heard of me, I don't, I don't know where that came from. Well, if anyone's seen you live, they'll some... understand. They will. <laughs> I don't think Johnny Marr has. <laughs> well, he ought. Not in recent years, anyway. He might be in Manchester, I suppose, with uh, Mark Wiley. We should get him down. Mm-hmm. We, should get, we should get Johnny to come and see you. <laughs> no. 